Good morning, Hope Church. How's it going today? On the first day of summer, it's official, right? Today is the first day of summer. It's going to be 90 degrees. Love it. Everyone have a good week? Good week? Yeah. I hope you didn't miss Wednesday. National Fudge Day. I mean, no? Nobody ate any fudge on Wednesday? Did you? Okay. Nice. Good, good. So you celebrated the right way for National Fudge Day. Well, I had a pretty good week. Uh, the week before, that was a rough one. That was a rough one. This week was okay. But here's my question for you today. Did you accomplish all of your goals for this past week? Maybe a better question is, did you have any goals for this past week? You know, I've talked about setting goals before, and I think it's important to have goals, right? Long-term goals, life goals, and short-term goals. Goals help you to stay focused. They help you to stay on task. They actually help you to achieve more in life. Research has actually proven that people who set goals and revisit them and adjust them regularly, they are more motivated and they achieve better results than those who do not. So if you don't already, I would encourage everyone to think about setting goals. And, and when you do think about it, maybe you do set goals, but you just don't formalize them. Maybe you think in terms of, you know, stuff that I need to get done this week. Things that I need to accomplish today. Those are actually goals. So, did you get everything done this week that you set out to do? But, you know what, I understand that. Maybe it was a crazy week. Kind of like the week I had the week before. Putting out fires, running around, dealing with things that came your way unexpectedly. Maybe your goal was just getting through the week and getting to the weekend. Sometimes you're just surviving and not necessarily thriving. So I want you to think about it another way, too. Think about it like this. How do all the things you did accomplish this past week, how do those feed into your ultimate goal in life? And you might think, do I have an ultimate goal in my life? And the fact is, you do. You may not have it written down, but you do have an ultimate goal. And the things that you do every day feed into that ultimate goal. Think about this. For example, money. Money could become your ultimate goal. Seen that many times before. Some people become so wrapped up in earning the almighty dollar, they get wrapped up in their job and in their career and achieving in the workplace. They succeed at making a living but they fail to make a life. 
So think about it again. What does what you achieved this week say about your ultimate goal in life? And, and really, I think that we could ask the question another way. What is it we're here for? As Christians, what are we saved for? Are we just saved to go to work every day? Make money? Make a living? Don't get me wrong, okay? Work is good. Work is a very good thing. Work is God-ordained. It goes all the way back to Genesis. But friends, our work is not in and of itself an end. It is a means to an end. It is not our purpose in life. And nowhere is this more evident than in the life of the Apostle Paul. Today, as we continue our exploration of the book of Colossians, we're going to learn how the gospel of Jesus Christ realigned Paul's identity and his ultimate purpose in life. You know, we've talked about how the gospel changed Paul, right? And, and his friend Epaphras. How it, just, how it just blew him away. How it changed him. How it transformed him. So much so that Epaphras started a church in his hometown of Colossae. And Paul... Paul became, as we read last week at the end of verse 23, he became a minister of the gospel. And that word minister there really can be translated a servant of the gospel. Now last week we looked at Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23. And there Paul made it crystal clear for us, right? He made it crystal clear who Jesus is and what he's done for us, right? Christ reigns supreme. Jesus is the God of creation. He is the creator. And this is one of the themes that runs throughout this book, right? The supremacy or the preeminence of Christ. And Paul made it clear for us that the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, right, the work of the cross, is all we need. It's all we need for life and salvation. That's the other theme that we see running throughout the book of Colossians, right? The sufficiency of Christ. And Paul is going to continue here in verses uh, 24 of chapter 1 and into chapter 2, verse 5, and that's where we're going to kind of be focused this morning. We're going to start in chapter 1, verse 24. We're going to go through chapter 2, verse 5. So if you want to follow along, that's where we're going to be. But in these verses, Paul goes on to tell us about a calling, right? A calling that transcends any vocation or any job. It's a calling that changes our priorities. It gives us a greater purpose in life. See, Paul was a tent maker by trade. Paul was a tent maker. But that's not what defined him. See, Paul, wherever he traveled, he worked hard at his craft because it did a couple of things. Number one, it contributed to society. Tent making back then was a necessary trade that was good for society. And number two, Paul was able to make a living so as to not be a burden to others. 
But that was not his identity. See, when Paul was confronted with the gospel on the road to Damascus, and it's a great story, a great story, Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. We find it in Acts chapter 9. If you haven't read that story, you have to, because it's wonderful. Because when Paul understood the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it changed him. He couldn't stay the same. It transformed him. It changed his identity from tent maker to a servant of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, that's what the gospel can and should do for each one of us here today. So let's dig into this passage and see what it is that we can learn from Paul. In verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. And we know for a fact that Paul wrote this from a Roman prison, right? So he was, in fact, suffering. But he was able to see that his suffering was working for something good. Not only in the church of Colossae, but the other churches in the area, and all Christians in general. And we see this idea of rejoicing in suffering, which is a very difficult thing for us to understand, right? Rejoicing in suffering. But we see this throughout the New Testament. And Paul chooses to rejoice in his suffering for the Colossians' sake. Now, the rest of this verse can be a little bit challenging to understand, right? Because where he says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, that almost leads us to believe that, that there's some sort of deficiency in the work of the cross. But we know that that cannot be true because Paul, in the previous verses, just made it clear that Christ is enough. We cannot add anything to what Christ has done for our salvation. Paul's sufferings were, in fact, a continuation of Christ's suffering. All of that was endured for the body of Christ, which is the church. In verse 25 and 26, Paul writes this, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So here again, here again, Paul gives us his identity, right? And it has nothing to do with his vocation. He doesn't say, I'm a tent maker, even though he is. That's not how he identifies. He says, I am a servant. The English Standard Version uses that word minister again. But in this case, the, tr the word truly means servant. If you remember in verse 23, Paul said, I am a servant of the gospel. Here what he's saying is he is a servant of the church. He's a servant of both the gospel and the church. And just as Paul became a servant by the commission of God... When we place our faith in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, 
we too are commissioned by God to become servants, right, ministers of the gospel and servants of the church, the body of Christ. And this becomes our identity in the world. This becomes who we are. You know, we're not, we're not uh, attorneys. We're not landscapers anymore. We're not farmers. We're not ditch diggers. We're not doctors. We're not lawyers. We are servants of the gospel, servants of the church. We're commissioned, right? But commissioned to do what? Any clues? Well, there's a clue right here at the end of verse 25, where Paul says, to present the word of God in its fullness. That's Paul's job. And you know what? That's our job. Our job is to present the gospel and make it fully known according to the word of God. That's our job. And friends, that is what we're about here at Hope Church. It's in our, in our mission statement, right? Everybody knows our mission statement, right? To honor God by loving our neighbors, sharing the gospel, and caring for each other. There it is, right there in the middle of our mission statement. We want to be true to what God has called us to, what God has commissioned us to as servants of the gospel, servants of the church. And this, this mystery that Paul refers to here, you know, is it really a mystery? Well, for a long time it was. You know, the people of ancient times, they had glimpses of it in the prophecies of the Old Testament, but it was hidden to a degree, a bit of a mystery, if you will. But is it really a mystery any longer, in particular to the Lord's people? No, absolutely not. Paul goes on in verse 27 to say, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yes, the Old Testament foretold Jesus and his glory, but it certainly didn't talk much about the Gentiles, and that part of the mystery was not revealed until the time of Jesus and his apostles. And make no mistake, Christ is in us, right? And Christ in us is our only hope for glory. Our only hope for glory. Again, there's nothing that we can do. It's not our hard work. It's not our devotion to God. You know, it's not how spiritual we are. We don't add to our salvation. Our only hope is the abidance presence of Jesus. That's it. As Paul says, Christ in you. And of course, Paul has, has told us that more than once. Christ is enough. In verse 28, Paul says, 
He is the one we proclaim. In other words, Jesus and Jesus alone was the focus of Paul's preaching and teaching. These were not opinions, right? These were not just, you know, entertaining stories. Paul preached Jesus. And that's what we're called to preach as individuals. And that's what we're called to preach as a church. And friends, we will preach Jesus. And nothing more here. That's what you're going to get at Hope Church. Paul goes on to say, yes, we proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And friends, there it is. There it is right there at the end of the verse. Paul's ultimate goal. Paul's ultimate goal is to present Christians as mature in the gospel. See, Paul wanted the whole gospel. The whole gospel for the whole world. Friends, the gospel is for everyone. And how was he going to achieve that? He says here, by admonishing, or in other words, warning and teaching everyone. Teaching them what? Let's go back to verse 25 here. It says, the word of God in its fullness. Paul's ultimate goal in life was to teach the gospel so that all would grow into maturity in Christ. See, it it isn't enough to just see people come to Christ. Although, let's face it, that is an awesome thing. It's wonderful to see people come to Christ. And we want to see that here at Hope Church. But the job doesn't end there. That's not the end of the story. We need to help them these, these new Christians, they need to be nurtured. They need to be, to be taught and cared for. To grow up in Christ. That was Paul's goal, and that's part of our goal here at Hope. To grow in maturity in Christ. Now, you know, uh, this is something that we just, yeah, I don't know. You, know, you, you spend an hour a week on Sunday morning. Um, you know, and then the rest of the week you just kind of go about your business. That's 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 how it works, right? No, absolutely not. And we see for Paul, it was an all-consuming passion. In verse twenty-nine, he says, "To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me." And when Paul says strenuously contend, what he's doing is he's, he's, he's using a sports metaphor. He sees himself as an athlete, right, who, who runs a race or, or who fights a fight. And what do we know about athletes? You know, we got the Olympics coming up. What do we know about athletes? They maybe train like once a week, maybe for an hour a week. That's, that's good enough, right? That's enough. No, absolutely not. Athletes put everything they have into their training. Daily. Always training. Always watching their diet. What they do 
right? What they do every day feeds into their ultimate goal in life. And Paul approaches sharing the gospel the same way. He works hard. He strives. He contends. What's the source of his energy? What is it? It's Christ in him. Christ working in him. Paul goes on with these thoughts into chapter 2 in verse 1. He says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. And here again, Paul's using that sports metaphor, right? When he's talking about contending for the Colossians. He puts maximum effort into his ultimate goal, sharing the gospel. And he mentions this church at Laodicea which was a sister church about nine miles east of Colossae. We don't know for sure, but Epaphras is the one that probably started that church as well. We have to remember here that Paul, Paul had never met any of these people. He'd never been there. Yet he strives on their behalf. Verse 2 of chapter 2, Paul gives us some insight into a secondary goal that is also particularly important because there he says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. So let me just stop and ask this question really quickly here because it's important. How often, friends, do we need to be encouraged in this life? Absolutely, absolutely. And this word that Paul uses here for encourage can also be translated comfort. Do we need encouragement and comfort along life's way? Absolutely. See, Paul knew that discouraged Christians are easy prey. Discouraged Christians are easy prey for the world, for Satan, for false teaching, and we're at risk as well. That's why we work so hard. That's why we strive. That's why we contend. That's why we do the things we do to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ here in Lowell. What we want to do is build that kind of community that Paul describes here for the Colossians, right? A community that comes alongside and walks alongside people that are in need and people that are downcast. We want to build a community that is knit together in love, friends. That's our mission. And we do this, as Paul continues in verse 2, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. See, Paul wanted this for the Colossians because he knew that their unity was so much more than just a product of their love. Make no mistake, love was a big part of it. But Paul also understood that it was a product of their understanding. Their understanding and their knowledge of 
the truth of God's word. Galatians 3.28 tells us that we're united, right? We are united in what? In Christ. We are united in the word. And Paul wanted the Colossians to know that Jesus, right? The word would unite them instead of dividing them. The way that the false teachings were dividing the church at Colossae. And do we see that happening in churches today? False teaching, dividing churches? Sadly, we do. Sadly, we do. And Paul's telling us that it is Jesus, it is the word that is going to unite us. Because as he says in verse 3, he tells us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right? Jesus is the source of all wisdom. Jesus is the source of all knowledge. Now I know you may say, if you've been paying attention over the past several months, you may say, hey, in our series on the nature of God, we said that God is the source of all wisdom, right? God is the source of all knowledge. And you would be absolutely right. That's exactly what we said. And those two thoughts, they maybe could be challenging to reconcile unless, unless Jesus is God. And guess what? Jesus is God. Should we seek wisdom and knowledge? Absolutely. But where do we seek it? In Jesus. In the Word. And Paul finishes his thoughts in this passage by telling the Colossians why he's written this. And he's telling us this same thing today. He says in verse 4, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And here, here Paul's pointing straight at the Gnostics, straight at, straight at those, those false teachers that had infiltrated the church, the Judaizers, the one that's, that were telling the Colossians that, that there's a higher wisdom, there's a higher wisdom that you need to attain apart from Christ or you need Christ plus circumcision or Christ plus works. What is Paul saying here? Do not be deceived. You have the truth of the gospel. Hold fast to it. In verse 5 he says, For though I am absent from you in the body, I am present with you in the spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Paul had never met these people. He'd never met any of them. He'd never visited there. He didn't start either of these churches, yet he was with them. He was with them in spirit. Remember we talked in week one how Paul prayed for them. How did Paul pray for them? Always, right? Without ceasing. And these terms that Paul uses here, where he talks about discipline and firmness, friends, these are military terms. 
See, Paul saw the Colossians as an army. And he saw this army under attack from the enemy. And he encouraged them to keep their lines of defense unbroken, their discipline intact, and their faith in Christ unshaken. And friends, there's no mistaking that we are in the midst of our own spiritual warfare. We see it. We see it. And quite honestly, it is no different than what the Colossians faced. It really isn't. They faced false teachings. We face false teachings. They battled Satan. Is Satan still active today? He is maybe more active than ever. And he would like nothing more than to lead you astray with some sort of a false doctrine. But Paul encourages us to keep our lines of defense unbroken, our discipline intact, and our faith in Christ unshaken. So how do we do this? As we do battle as individuals, as we do battle as a church, what does Paul tell us today? If we boil it down, it really becomes quite simple. Our ultimate goal, grow in maturity in Christ. How? By teaching and sharing the truth of the gospel as found in the word of God. Friends, it is so important that we learn and teach what is found in God's word. But as important... We must know what is not in the Word of God. And we must strongly refute those teachings. Even if it's unpopular. Even if it offends someone. Or alienates us. Or we're persecuted because of it. The truth of God's Word, friends, is truth. And it does not change. May we be a church that strives and contends for maturity in Christ by the truth of the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and praise you. We thank you so much, Lord. We thank you that we are commissioned as servants as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as servants of the church. We thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that you made. We thank you, Lord, that Christ is enough. And Lord, we thank you that you reign supreme. Father, bless us as a church, bless us as individuals as we seek to share the gospel with the people of Lowell and Northwest Indiana. We pray that your blessing will be upon us, Lord, and we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.